Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Kudenitsya, The Well, a monthly podcast series about Ukrainians and topics of interest to Ukrainians around the world. Today is Tuesday, February 11th, 2020. Our guest for this episode is Professor Thomas Premak, who is the Chair of Ukrainian Studies at the University of Toronto in Canada. And our topic is going to be the development of Ukrainian surnames. Welcome, Professor Premak. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much for inviting me to come on. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. So to get the ball rolling, I'd like to talk about how surnames developed in Western Europe in the Middle Ages. Uh, Yes. In ancient times, generally, people did not have surnames or family names the way we know them today. In Greece, people usually just had a given name and that was it. In Rome, they had uh, usually three names, but none of them was a family name as we know it today. One was a clan name, another was a given name, that sort of thing. So family names developed in Western Europe during the Middle Ages, primarily and firstly among the landholding classes, the aristocracy and the nobility. And from there, it spread downward through society until by modern times, uh, almost everybody had surnames, family names as we know them. And this uh, spread geographically as well as hierarchically eastward across Europe and uh, arrived in, in Eastern Europe among the nobility in medieval times and among the common folk much, much later. In Ukraine in particular, Western Ukraine is fairly well researched. There we know that uh, the majority of the Ukrainian population in the province of Galicia in the Austrian Empire was without family names until 1772 when the Austrians annexed this, this western part of Ukraine to their empire. And the reason why they, they wanted people to have family names was for taxation and military purposes. They wanted to keep track on the, of the population and they wanted to use the young men for the military. So in order to do this, they had to have a census and then organize the bureaucracy so that they could distinguish one family from another and one person from another. And that's when family names became very, very common in the Austrian province of Galicia, which is today Western Ukraine. I think there was a similar thing happened in the Russian Empire when serfdom was abolished and universal uh, military service was an, enacted in the middle of the 19th century. But I'm not, I haven't done primary research in that area, so I'm not quite sure. So that's how it developed. And today, of course, uh, almost everybody has a, has a family name. But this is a European phenomenon, particularly, uh, that is spread across the world. And there's still parts of the world that, where people don't have family names. For example, in Afghanistan, most people still to this day don't have family names. And when you get an educated, high-ranking person from Afghanistan, for example, there's a fellow named Dr. Abdullah. Well, Abdullah is not his family name. It's just his given name. But when he came to the West, he had to have a passport with a family name and a given name. So he took up the name Dr. Abdullah Abdullah. So <laughs> even today in some parts of the world, they don't have family names as we know them. And it's spreading even to the present day. Yeah, and I think in the article that I read, which, which triggered all of this years ago, the article in Forum, a Ukrainian review in the fall of 2000, you talk about Ukrainian names as well as other kinds of surnames. And you mentioned the fact that in Iceland, basically, most people use a patronymic family name. Yes, that's true. That's true. If you look at, the, at a telephone book 
in, in Iceland, things will go by the patronymic, son of or daughter of. And what they list is daughter of, and then the first name after that. So that's how they're organized. It's different. Uh, and they don't really have family names the way we have them. They, it's daughter of and son of. Patronymics are universal in Iceland to the present day. So during the period of Kjaven Rus, did the aristocracy have family names? Yes. Not as we know them, but families, great families were important, and people were known by their families. For example, the Ostrowski family in Volinia was an enormously powerful Boyar family, became a princely family, and the Ostrowski name was known all over Eastern Europe. And Prince Constantine was a great leader of the uh, literary movement, I think, in the uh, early 16th century and late 16th century, right on to the, to the time when his family, after him, converted to Roman Catholicism, and the family became Polish and Roman Catholic and began to spell their name differently. But that sort of thing was very common in uh, eastern Ukraine. Aristocrats did have family names. They were proud of their families. And it was important to have a family name because that's how you could track who could inherit the land and who could inherit the title. So there was a practical reason why the aristocracy and the nobility had family names, and the peasantry did not, because the peasantry basically were without, were without legal rights, and so it didn't matter as much uh, to the society. But it mattered a great deal for anybody who held property and had legal rights, and so it was a legal administrative matter as, as much as anything else. And from what I read in your article, didn't the Cossacks of Ukraine also begin to develop family surnames? Yes, some of them did. Some of them did. Um, yeah, although I don't think it was as firm as among the aristocracy. This was a, a, a situation in, in flux, and some of them developed family names, and some of them didn't. For example, the great leaders of the Cossacks, Bohdan Khmelnytsky, he had a family name, Khmelnytsky, and he had a, a given name, Bohdan. And he also had a middle name, Zinovi. So he had all those things, and many other Cossacks did as well, but many didn't. Many just had ordinary uh, given names, and sometimes they were called after their place of origin. For example, Bohdan from Tornopol would be Bohdan Tornopilski, you see, that sort of thing. And so it did spread with time, but it w remained in a state of flux. And as I mentioned before, right up until the 19th century, when uh, universal military service and taxation came to the villages and serfdom was abolished, many people didn't have fixed family names. Even on the very eve of the immigration to North America, they weren't quite as firm as they are today, and some people didn't really have family names the way we know them today. But it was a modernizing thing. It was part of the modern world. And as Ukraine became more and more modern, more and, more and more people developed family names, and today they're universal in Ukraine. I'd like to discuss for a moment the development of the different types of surnames, particularly in Western Ukraine. And you mentioned various categories, including names from physical characteristics, geography-based names, uh, names from professions or social classes, and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, I can. Yes, there's, there are four basic types of Ukrainian family names. And these are not just Ukrainian. These types are pretty general for all of Europe, for all of the Slavic peoples and all of Europe. So the first one and the most common and the great, biggest group are family names derived from personal or given names. So uh, a person with a given name like Vasil or Bohdan or Ivan, 
uh, their children would be known in some way as the son of Ivan or the son of Bohdan or the son of Vasil. So you have Vasilich, little Vasil, or you have Ivanko, little Ivan, you have Ivanovich, uh, the, all of those uh, many, many names. The most common of them all are derived from Ivan. I think there are about 130 different family names derived from the given name Ivan, and there are several from, from all of the others. Most of these are from the father, about 94% are derived from the father. Only about 6% are derived from the mother. The one I can think of offhand is Marinovich, Marinovich's, or Maronchak, there's another one. There are, those are names from, derived from a mother from Maria rather than Ivan or Bohdan or something like that. So that's the first big group, and it's the largest. The second, as you mentioned, are names from places, geographical origin names. So you have Mr. Lutsky from Lutsk, you have Mr. Volonets from Volinia, you have Mr. Podilyak from Podilia, and that sort of thing. A subgroup uh, within this uh, geographical one are names from peoples. For example, the word for uh, German in Ukrainian is Nimets. And there are many Ukrainian uh, names derived from Nimets, the son of the German immigrant, probably, in Ukraine. So you'd have Nimchuk, uh, Nimchenko, that sort of thing. Poles in Western Ukraine, in particular, were often called Mazure. Polish immigrants to Ukraine were called Mazure, Mazurs. And you have Mazurkevich and that sort of thing derived from uh, Mazur, the son of the Mazur, the son of the Polish immigrant, Mazurkevich. You also have the name Rusin, which is derived from the old name Rus, of course. And people in Western Ukraine, particularly in Transcarpathia, are frequently called Rusin or Rusinski or something like that. One of the most famous of these types of names is born by a hockey player, Wayne Gretzky, who is very well known in Canada, and I think is also well known in the United States. His name comes from probably either Western Ukraine or, or, or Western Belarus where there was a large Roman Catholic population, and that population would call the Greek Catholics or the Orthodox Gretzky, meaning Greek. And so his name is derived from Greek, probably from his religion, or the, the, the religion of his ancestors. And uh, he was known, and his family known was, uh, was known as Gretzky. Then there are other very common ones as well. For example, there were Tartars were, were neighbors of Ukrainians, and sometimes in, intermingled with them. And so you have names like Tatarin, from, uh, meaning uh, a person who is a Tartar. And you have Voloshin, from the Vlachs, the Romanian-type people uh, in just to the south of Ukraine. And so Voloshin, is a, these are all uh, derived from nationalities. The third big group would be uh, names from social class or professions. And there you have very common names like Melnik from uh, the Miller, you have Koval, the blacksmith, Kozak from the Cossack, Rybak from the fisherman, Skripnik from violinist, Honchar from, from uh, the pottery maker, potter in English, and that sort of thing. And then finally, um, uh, in social class, you also fit family type names. So, for example, the, the third person, the third child born to a family would be called Tretyak, meaning third. This became a, a common Ukrainian name. And uh, there's a Russian form at all as well, Trechikov, you know, which uh, I think is the name of a of a hockey player as well. I, I'm Canadian, you see, so I know some of these <laughs> hockey players. And then there's Shostak, the sixth-born child. And then there is my family name, Premak. Premak comes from the um, the word primate, 
to accept or to receive. And it was given to the the son of a family who uh, went to live with his in-laws, and he was accepted into the family, so he was a primak. Probably a diminutive of primach, meaning uh, receiver or something like that. And when I went to Ukraine many years ago, uh, when, still at the time of communism, I saw on the front page of Ukraina magazine an article about Boris Primak, who was the, the architect who uh, redesigned central Kiev and rebuilt central Kiev after its destruction during the Second World War. So he was quite an important fellow, and I was impressed that somebody like that would have my family name. But afterwards, I also discovered that it was a common name in Ukraine, very common, just as those other ones I, I mentioned were. And they all have diminutives of various sorts. So, for example, from Primak, you have Primachenko, and there's a famous Ukrainian folk artist named Maria Primachenko. And there are others. For example, Vitaly Primakov, with a Russian ending added onto his name. His name was Primak, but he added this Russian ending on the Alv. was a famous Cossack, Red Cossack, during the revolution. He was an extreme leftist a supporter of uh, Trotsky, and he was liquidated by Stalin later on and during the 1930s. And there are others as well. So that, those are names from social class or professions, and family names are, are associated with them as well. Family forms, I should say. Where do Ukrainian names fit in with Slavic names in general? With Slavic names in general, yes. Well, there are, there are many different factors here. I think for North Americans, it's very hard to distinguish one, one Slavic name for another. So, uh, but for our purposes here, we can say that probably the ski ending is the most common marker for a Slavic name. And people think that this is the most common form of, of a Slavic name, like uh, Barsky or Ternopolsky or something like that, you know. But it's not. It's most common in North America because the Polish group is the most numerous in North America. I think there are about nine and a half million Polish Americans. And we think of, of that being as the predominant Slavic name because it's the predominant Polish name. But in Europe, probably the Russians, of course, outnumber the Poles. And the most common name in Russia is Ivanov. So the Ivanov name is the most common in Russia. Now you get lots of ski endings in Polish, and some of these are uh, spill over into Western Ukraine. And in, even in getting towards central Ukraine, there are some people with ski endings. And there are a few in Russia as well, Dostoevsky being uh, the outstanding example. But in general, relatively rare in Russia, common in Western Ukraine and predominant in Poland. In Russia, you've got the of and e endings more commonly, and these tend to be pronounced Eve rather than ever of in Russian. So, for example, you get Popov in Russia, Popiu in Ukraine, that type of thing, or Petrov in Russia, Petriu, uh, I-W sometimes spelled in North America, uh, in Ukraine. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Can you suggest to our audience any books or any websites where they might be able to go to find out more information? Yes. Well, there's a substantial amount of information available about Ukrainian names in particular and Slavic names in general. Several books on the subjects. You just Google it and things will pop up. I myself have published three or four articles on the subject two of them in the East European Genealogist, a magazine which deals with genealogy primarily, but also touches on tangential fields such as uh, family names that genealogists are very interested in. And then there are the dictionaries. Uh, dictionaries are very, very important because you can just look up the dictionary and very often find the meaning of a Slavic name. For example, with your name, Burek, I looked it up 
at first I thought, wow, that sounds like like a beat, Budiak, you know? So maybe it's derived from there. And then I thought, no, no, maybe not. So I looked it up in Constantine Andrews-Sitchin's big dictionary, and I found that Burek generally means brown or dark brown. So you probably had an ancestor somewhere with brown hair or something, or a, a ruddy complexion, you know, to, on the brown side, called Burek, something like that. So, um, yeah, that dictionary is particularly good for uh, our purposes, and anybody who can master the Cyrillic alphabet can use it, so it's very good that way. And then there are books on, for example, Russian names and Polish names that are have Ukrainian forms as well, or cognate forms, you know, very similar. And you can look at those to look up Ukrainian names. There are none in English for Ukrainian, but there are for Polish and Russian. Hoffman is the author of the Polish one. I think it's called Polish Family Names. And uh, Boris Unbegaun is the author of one on R- Russian names. And he has a whole chapter on Ukrainian names. And his book is just called Russian Names. He was a great philologist and close friend of George Lutsky of the University of Toronto here where I live. We have to wrap it up at this point. But okay. I want to thank thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you, uh, Mike, for inviting me. All the best to you and your and your work. We have been speaking with uh, Professor Thomas Premak, who is the chair of Ukrainian studies at the University of Toronto in Canada, and we've been talking about the history and development of Ukrainian surname. This is Mike Burek, your host and the producer of Kreditsia, the Well a monthly podcast series about Ukrainians and topics of interest to Ukrainians around the world. Until next time, that's all for now.